Hello and welcome to the Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 25. Before we get started today, I wanted to mention that anybody who wants to go to the website can do that by going to www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. Um, if you had any questions or emails, please feel free to send those to Podcast at gmail.com or any of the email addresses on the website. I also wanted to mention we're being post or host sorry, we're being hosted on the Northern Runes Radio webpage. So I just Google Northern Runes Radio. I also have a link on my website. And I would suggest listening to some of the other podcasts on the Northern Rune Radio. I know that I had a lot of trouble finding really good Ossetru-related podcasts. And I think Northern Rune Radio is is a really good one. They've had a lot of good episodes. Um, I would especially suggest going back through their archives and listening to the uh Rune Meditation, they've got a couple meditation ones, and they're doing Rune Series, which was like my one of my first or second podcasts. I covered all the runes in one podcast, just giving a good idea, but uh, Dan's actually going into detail on each rune, um, and I'm really excited about that series. So I just wanted to mention you might want to check that out. Okay, with no further ado, today my uh, co-host is my wife, Lauren. Lauren, how are you? Tired. Okay. <laughs> well, the reason we're tired, I think I've mentioned it in other podcasts, and we had the How to Raise Children, if you're also true podcast, is because we were expecting a baby, and uh, she's been delivered, Saga Sky. Um, so we've been very busy taking care of her the last, ooh, what, 11 days? Uh-huh. Yeah, the last 11 days, so... It's been pretty hectic. I took uh, three weeks off of work, um, figuring I'd have plenty of time to get lots of things done, and that totally didn't happen, because apparently babies take a lot of time to raise. I know, who knew? (laughs) Anyway, that said, the reason I'm having uh, just Lauren and myself today is we kind of wanted to talk about our thoughts on children, now that we have one. I mean, we're... We're new parents, we're, we're not experts by any stretch of the imagination because we've only been parents for 11 days. However, um, we have been parents for 11 days, so we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some of our thoughts and, and impressions. So the first thing I want to do is just talk about what's it like to be a new parent, and Lauren, I'm going to let you start. What's it like being a new parent? How does it feel? I know it's only been 11 days, but what are some of your first impressions? Um, it's exciting, it's terrifying, it's tiring, it's a lot of things wrapped up into one. I mean, you have all of these hopes and dreams and all this anticipation of what it's going to, what your baby's going to be like and, um, just enjoying the simple moments of you know, rocking them and feeding them, but then also having those moments of looking in the bassinet and having to shake their leg to make sure they're still alive and, um, you know, worrying that you're doing something wrong, that you're not feeding them right or you're not, you know, diapering them right or something like that. So it's, it's a lot of excitement, a lot of really happy things, and then also a lot of terrifying 
what if I'm totally ruining my child's life moment, too? Uh, yeah, I actually totally agree with that. There are a lot of really fun, exciting moments because, you know, it's it's a new life that you brought into the world. It's a continuation of our folk. It's the next generation. And you're taking care of them. And, and one of the most terrifying things, and I don't know why if it's just my overactive imagination, but you, you always think, what if you trip when you're holding them? Or I don't know why, but that thought just came to me one day and absolutely terrified me. Or, yeah, you look in the bassinet and babies sleep ridiculously calmly. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times they're they're moving around and everything, but sometimes when they go to sleep, they just hold perfectly still and you're you're just worried that something might be wrong with them that that they might not be breathing and and yeah you watch them for a little while and sometimes you shake their legs to make sure they're alive um but yeah it's it's a really huge deal so i i think that's a good way to put it is is it's it's amazing and terrifying at the same time now one thing i wanted to touch on and you may have just heard her in the background. If this podcast has lots of pauses and restarts, that's because we're taking care of the baby in between um, in between recording. So one of the first things I wanted to talk about, we're going to go over a few things here probably, is most of us were raised in a religion. Uh, well, most Austro people were not raised Austro. They were raised Christian or um, maybe they had a different background in pagan or atheist or whatever. Most of us have not been raised Austro. And uh, one of the things you kind of don't think about is those beginning of life rituals and even later in life rituals. We're all coming from this as adults. We have a thing where we owe ourselves to... Uh, to the gods and then to the particular kindred, your kith and kin oath. And those are the type of ceremonies that we think about. But there's other ceremonies you might want to think about if you're having a kid. One thing that I did at nine days was we did a little naming ceremony. And um, it was a very private thing, just uh, Lauren, myself, and Saga, where we basically officially pronounced, you know, called the gods and officially pronounced her name to the gods. Um, nine is kind of a magical number, so I thought that was appropriate. Uh, that's, that's one of those things that, that I think can be really cool for kids who are actually going to be raised in an Austro household are things like this. Um, do you have any thoughts about, uh, maybe the naming ceremonies or rites of passage or ceremonies in general? Lauren? That's a loaded question. A lot, a lot in that. Um, the naming ceremony was um, was a neat thing. It was not exactly actually what I expected we were going to do in the beginning because from what I had heard from other people, they had like big sort of get-togethers or whatever for naming ceremonies. But nine days after we had the baby, I didn't really want people here. And um, it, was, it was really nice to just be the three of us and um, calling the gods down and... Um, you know, naming her officially, and it was it was a really neat, a very moving little ceremony that we had. Um, well, we can talk about just the naming ceremony first, because I, I had a couple comments on what you said. I was torn. I I thought about 
inviting the other uh, kinsmen and uh, even my brother. He's also Osotro. I think it might be a little weird to invite your non-Osotro relatives, but but maybe you could invite them them as well. I like the idea of a big group or whatever getting together because then you're like presenting your new baby to the community. That makes sense. But on the other hand, and especially with a first child, you are truly creating a family, a family unit. Lauren and I have been married for a while now, and in a sense that's a, in a sense that's a nuclear family, but it's not really a nuclear family. We are just a married couple, but now we have an actual child brought into the world, a life that once did not exist and now it does. And furthermore, we've created the next generation. And I felt like, and maybe it's because I'm a very private person, but I felt like an intimate moment between the three of us just seemed so appropriate that we are saying we were once one thing, a couple. Now that thing is no more and we are something new, in this case, a family. So I really liked having the the private ceremony for that reason. I, I, I'm just saying I wouldn't say don't do a big naming ceremony, but I just felt it was more appropriate to do a small one. And uh, the practical side, it actually makes a lot of sense. Nine days after you have a baby, you're exhausted. And I mean, what, like four of those days was spent in the hospital. Yeah, we, or, we had an extraordinarily long stay in the hospital. Most people are not in the hospital as long well, as we were. Well, that's true. Yeah, we were in the hospital for five days. So. Yeah, so we were in the hospital for part of that time. We had just recently gotten home. And we're trying to adjust to the new baby, feeding her, uh, taking care of her, everything. And, you know, even before the naming ceremony, we didn't say, time for the naming ceremony, let's go. You have to say, time for the naming ceremony, let's change her and feed her first. Because, well, the changing thing, I think it'd be a little disrespectful to present a baby that wasn't properly changed. And probably a baby that wasn't properly fed. You want to get her all ready to go. It just as a sign of respect. You want to get her all ready to go before you actually do the ceremony. And that that would be difficult with more people there. But I think the big thing is I just want to say we are a family now. And really that is our thing. That's something that nobody else is a part of. We are a nuclear family. That's something we've never been. That's, that's something we are now part of so so yeah did you have more to say on the naming ceremony no you said it well okay um well let's move on because uh, but still in the same vein something that's that's tricky with being also true is a lot of groups as children will have certain rites of passage and we're sort of in new territory. I mean, some other groups have done certain rites of passage thing, things, but so few people are raised us true just because it's a newer religion and most converts really come from... It, it seems that most people I know who are in true either they have kids, but they were older and past the stage of raising kids when they became also true or they don't have kids at all and a lot of times they're not planning to have kids. So you don't have a lot of parents in also true. You do 
have some, and I'm seeing more and more. But um, as far as rites of passage goes, there's not really a lot written on that because most of us who are Austria have already been through our rites of passage, or maybe more appropriately, we're past the age of rites of passages. What do you think about things like this represents that you're an adult now, some sort of ceremony along those lines? Um, did you have any thoughts about rites of passages like that? Well, it's kind of um, kind of funny that you mention it because I didn't, in my own life, I had no really rites of passage. I didn't have any religious um, places that I got rites of passage or any other groups of um, social groups or anything like that that I went through rites of passage for, so... I think it. I think it is nice when you have those for a child. Um, so it'd be interesting for us to make that tradition because even in modern non-secular um, communities, people don't really do rites of passage anymore, and I think that they really were meaningful to people and to children. So, um, but I don't know what we'll do. <laughs> Well, I don't know what we'll do either, and I don't know how many will do. Um, the only big ceremonies we really have anymore, you're right, is um, weddings and funerals. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a bummer. I did not have a rite of passage where I was, I don't know, I turned 18 and I had something like, okay, now you're an adult. But I like the idea. I like the idea of it. I mean, I've done some some personal works, which I don't know if you call them rites of passages, but they had the idea that once I was this and now I'm something new. As you go through your life, you you enter into other stages. Uh, you know, whatever the reason is, I'm going to stick with the, the child one because that's what we're focusing on. There's a difference between a child and an adult. There are different responsibilities. Um, and really, you can't be a child and an adult at the same time. The child and you... Okay, yeah, in some sense, there's always a child and you and youthful happiness, whatever. But seriously, the the child part of you has to die so that the adult part can now take over. And to have something that says, yes, definitely this part of me is gone and this part of me is now like the thing that's that's really me. I, I think it's nice to have ceremonies to really say, yeah, that's that's what's happening. So yeah, I think at the very least we'll do something for when Saga becomes an adult to say like officially now she's an adult um, and some of the rights that she'd have is she'd be able to uh, take those at that point in time, if she wanted to. Whereas before that, a child doesn't really have the ability to take an oath. They're, they're not old enough. They don't understand the consequences of it. But I like the idea of a rite of passage that says, well, now you're an adult and now you have these extra things. Uh, just a quick mention, if somebody's listening and they want to write in about what they think appropriate rites of passages are, that would be cool. Um, just send it to that Huguenot podcast uh, Gmail address. Um, did you have anything else to say on rites of passage? Okay. Um, 
Yeah, we're just kind of doing this episode, you probably noticed, just a hodgepodge of stuff we've been thinking about now that we have a child. Obviously, it's a big part of our life, so some of these things come up. Um, what I want to move to next is kind of a, a big part of, we talk about also true being about family. We always say that the gods are elder kin and, and you have to think that, that your direct family and your ancestors and everything else are important to you. That's part of the point of also true to, you know, tie you to your greater family. Um, and now that we actually have our own nuclear family, I kind of want to explore the idea of why are children important in Ossetru, and maybe why are children important in general, but especially in Ossetru. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that rather vague question, <laughs> or is that too vague? No, I mean, there's there was a, I think there was a pretty big cultural thing with having children. I mean, not just for the practicality of it, like you needed you know, children to help you take care of your farm and help, you know, fight for your lands or whatever. But, like, you have that passage in the Havamal that's something like, you know, you have to have a son to raise your gravestone or whatever. But I think yeah. I think it was very much like your legacy. You know, you needed to live a good life. That would, you know, in part be part of your legacy, but then also have children to, um, you know, carry on your line carry on your your family line so um but i mean that was a cultural thing not really a culture cultural thing these days i guess um and i hate the burden of that to put on your children you know that they need to carry on what you were or um well i don't know that's kind of true um but I don't, I don't know if they can, on one hand, I don't know if they can get out of that. Yeah, true. Your children will always be connected to you. And I'm not completely convinced it's a burden. I mean, if I were to say, hey, baby saga, I like developing games. That's not what my career is, but it's just one of my hobbies. I like developing games, so you're going to do it, too. I don't think that would be fair. That would be a burden. Mm -hmm. But I feel when you talk about carrying on a legacy, the thing that's important and the part of that that I like is, like, keeping the family name honorable. Yeah. Like, carrying on the good deeds and honor that we have put into our family name. Throughout the years, we've done actions, you know, some of them weren't good, and we've made up for those, and some of them, most of them, I would hope for most people, were good, and we've made our family line better, we've improved our weird, you know, we've put those good actions in the well, and and that's the legacy that I think your children should be able to carry on, that legacy of honor. And, and I think there's joy in living an honorable life. I don't like it. I don't feel like it's a burden to say we lived an honorable life and we think you should do the same. I don't think that's a burden. I think that'll make their life better. I don't think that's not what I meant. Like, to say that the motivation for having children and for having a family is to carry on your your memory or your 
your legacy. Not Uh-oh. that's the burden. Not not that it's. I don't think it's a burden to be honorable and hope that your children are honorable as well. But I don't. I don't know if even that's a burden, though. I mean, if you think about it, my family members and my ancestors that I would consider honorable, I do feel I have an obligation to remember them and to think about them and to tell their stories, especially at Bloat is a very appropriate time. If if I think my, my grandpa or, or my great-grandpa or, or um, one of my ancestors did honorable things, I think I have an obligation to... Um, sing their praises but i don't i don't think that's a i don't think that's a burden and and they may have had a family in part because they wanted somebody to remember them but i don't think the memory the remembering them part is a burden i i think it could be a very positive thing i guess i'd agree if you're having kids just so somebody will remember you that's probably not quite the right reason right to have kids, I suppose I, I do agree with that. Um, but then again, I, I think it can be a motivation for you to do better, too. I wonder if that's part of what having kids are, because you have this kid, and you know when they move out, they could never talk to you again. And um, something I think, and then I heard this on a parenting podcast I was listening to, Something you should think about when you're raising kids is when they turn, let's just, you know, we want them to be full adults. When they turn 30, if you go up to them and you say, if I said to Saga when she was 30, if you could have any father in the world, who would you want it to be? If she sa- if she says anything other than you, as in me, um, I failed. As a parent, so so one of the cool things about this focus on the legacy and this focus about your children are the ones who raise your gravestones, your children are the ones who remember you and carry on your legacy. Is you have to have a legacy worth being carried on. Yeah. And if Joe Schmo on the street doesn't carry on your legacy, you're like, oh, whatever. I don't know Joe Schmo. We're not that close. Who cares? But if your child doesn't carry on your legacy, it, it, it might be a little bit of a failure on your part. And I think children are one thing to think, to, that make you think, okay, I have a kid. Is she going to carry on my legacy? Is she going to remember me? Is she going to take care of me when I'm old? Or is she going to abandon me and never talk to me? Is she going to be estranged from me? And it motivates you to do the right thing because you know you have so much to lose. So in that sense, I guess I think even the carrying on the legacy could uh, motivate you. Could be a good thing, yeah, because it motivates you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I I think another really important thing about the whole family thing is. You know, when we do bloats, we remember, we remember our ancestors, and uh, Lauren and I, anyway, kind of consider consider our gods as as our elder kin. So, with the focus on ancestry, there's just been this line, which has been unbroken. You know, going back all these years, all these people have had children, and 
and uh, passed on their wisdom to those children who passed it on to their children who passed it on to their children. And uh, I think there's something very cool about really becoming part of that cycle. Because there has been a cycle or a line of your ancestors, you know, giving birth to the next generation and teaching the next generation something. And we've been on the receiving end of that for a very long time. We have all this history, which we have the benefit of, um, take, <clears throat> excuse me, of taking advantage of. But now we're actually kind of doing our part to continue the family line even further into the future. So I think that's kind of a interesting part about having kids too. Well, what are your thoughts on, um, Oh, how do I want to put it? Maybe some of the the morals that we're going to try to teach our kid. And maybe which one of those morals are we going to teach? Like, like what are we going to focus on? And, and Austria's sort of part of this, too. We're going to say, for example, um, you can't break goes. Okay, that would be an example. That's one of those things I feel as an also true parent, you have an obligation to not force your kids to follow the gods, but uh, teach your kids about the gods, yes, but I think you should teach them about other religions too, just so they're aware that other things are out there, and you know, maybe maybe that calls to them. And I think our we talked a lot on the last show about um, saying that your child can be whatever religion she wants to be, you're here to teach her about, or I'm here to teach her about Ossetro, and also other religions. Um, and I, I think I have an obligation to kind of show her other things are out there and maybe introduce her to people who can show her about other things. But I have an obligation to teach her about Ossetro. But as far as morals go, I think um, we really have an obligation to teach her certain moral truths, you know, outside the religious sphere. I don't think we should say... Well, telling the truth is what we do, but uh, here's how you lie really good, and here's a bunch of liars. Go learn how to be dishonest with them. It, it's not the same when it comes to morals. Anyway, you don't think so, do you? No. All right. I mean, you'd agree with the religious thing. Obviously, she can come to the bloats and be, yeah. be part of it, but we're still going to say, hey, there are other religions out here, right? Right. And if she says, I want to be another religion, we're not going to be like, no, you're not. Right. I mean, we're going to let her choose her own path in life, right? right? But then when it comes to morals, I think that's a different story, isn't it? Right. We're not going to say, oh, well, if you want to lie, that's 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Well, because the, the morals, although, um, although they we can see them in our religion and we can see how they're expressed in our religion. I don't think that we um, necessarily got them from religion. I think that they, they go outside of religion and they, um, so yes, I think we should teach her those things and they should be, not, I hate the word universal, universal is not the word I want to use. They should go beyond the religion, whatever religion it is that she practices. I hope that she would still have the same, morals yeah yeah i agree with that uh one of the things um that i looked at when i was uh deciding what religion to be is i had a set of morals which i had over the years come to accept for 
various reasons, you know, reading ethicists and philosophers, um, I had a set of morals that, that I thought, you know, this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing. And one of the reasons I decided to become Ossetru is because it actually, it shared those morals. So, and, and there are a lot of religions that share, um, similar morals. There's, there's very few religions in the world that say, murder and theft is okay. I mean, most of those say, say they're wrong. So, so yeah, I, I think that there can be a distinction between morals and religion. Yeah. Um, now that said, I don't think you can be, be a completely immoral person who, um, breaks those and everything else and, 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 still be Ossetro, right. that would not be compatible. You can't be an immoral person and Ossetro because they conf- uh, con- thank you. contradict one another. Ossetro says there are certain things you have to do, so you have to do them. But you could be a good moral person um, but not be Ossetro. Yeah. You could be an atheist but still have the same moral views. And I feel like morals are one of those things that, as a parent, you have an obligation to teach your kids morals. And I don't mean just say, oh, that's wrong and that's right, and we don't do that, and we do um, that over there. But to really break it down and say, why is it wrong to do this thing? And why is it wrong to do that thing. I, I think we really have an obligation as parents to go into some of those moral truths and, and to the best of our ability instill and explain them to our children. Yeah. Um, and of course, leading by example is always another important thing I think you have to do with kids. You can't be a dishonest person and expect your kids to be honest just because you say that's the best policy. Right. You have to, uh, yeah, be honest with them. Um, okay, I'm gonna kind of uh, switch gears into something into something a little new because a lot of this parenting and morals and stuff we talked about on the last show. Um, but something else we can talk about our kid is how cute she is <laughs> and how she's adorable. No, it's true. When you say she's the cutest baby yeah, in the world, objectively, yeah, objectively the cutest baby Definitely. in the world. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is, it's it's bizarre how much you think your baby is the cutest baby in the world, uh-huh. and I don't know why that is. Is is it an evolutionary thing? We're designed to care about our babies and think they're the cutest in the world, so that we take care of them. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say what love is and, like, do you love this baby or not? Because, you know, a lot of people would say that love has has to do with, like, a respect and honor type of thing. But when you have a baby, it's it's not like you know them on a personal level. They They don't even hardly have a personal level yet. But you do feel an emotion, which is... Uh, akin to love. I mean, most parents will say that they love their children when they're 11 days old. And you'd say you love our daughter and she's 11 days old, right? Mm -hmm. So my question is, what is, what is this thing that makes us think, oh, these are the cutest babies in the world. And, And I absolutely love this baby, even though it's like brand new and that's not normally 
how something like love works. I mean, is this all chemicals or, or I mean, what's going on there? I think you have a lot of intentions. You have a lot of, um, I mean, first, especially if you, you know, you planned your pregnancy, you have all of that history going into it. Um, then you have the whole gestation period when, you know, you're, the baby is growing before she even comes or you're, you know, you have all these hopes and dreams that are building and all of this, um, you know, all of this stuff that you're thinking about. And then when she's actually finally here, you know, all of that's, I mean, it's not totally actualized, but having her there with you, you know, it's it's coming true. And um, I think you have a lot of that history that makes you want to bond, that makes you Mm -hmm. want, you know, that makes you want it to work. And then I think you do, there's an extreme amount of biology going into it too. Yes, there is. Um, so, I mean, maybe it is a lot of mostly evolutionary, but, I mean, then you also have this, she's part of you, you know, she's she's your family now. Um, and so, in that way, you have, you know, you have that familial connection that, you know, that you have that love from. So, it's pretty loaded with a lot of psychological things and biological things, but um, that gets away with not having the history of like a long-term relationship to build your love on yeah i mean i i it's a a lot of things are going on when you have a cat Uh and and honestly a lot of hormones are involved and everything else too but there is just something strange and baffling and wonderful about it i feel like there is some sort of spiritual connection because you know she does Kind of, she does share the same folk soul with you. I mean, there's something on a spiritual level. I think, of course, of course, when we talk like this, it's it's becoming mostly opinion. But right. I think on a on a spiritual level, there is something very. Uh, I mean, she is. She's part of you. You know, you had these two people, and now they've, in a sense, been combined. You know, into this into this one person. Um, and you do have all these hopes and dreams for her. You've created, it's interesting because, and especially if the child was planned, um, but maybe in any situation, you have all these hopes and dreams that you've built up around like this girl. And, and, and hopefully they're, um, what's the word, free dreams that you know can sort of be that are very malleable like i hope she lives a happy life i hope she's an honorable individual instead of i hope she's a heart surgeon at the german hospital you know if you get very specific with your hopes and dreams it's it's a little unfair because you're trying to bind your child into something that perhaps they won't necessarily want to be when your hopes are more like, I hope she's happy and I hope she's honorable, I think I think that's better. But it's sort of interesting because you're like, you've created an entire artificial, so to speak, person with your hopes and dreams of, of what she's going to be. And then you have the actual child come into the world and then they sort of grow into 
this thing that you've set up for them because you've made certain decisions about how you're going to treat them and what you want their life to be and they sort of grow into the idea of them that you had and mesh with it and, and meld with it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the challenge of, of parenting is exposing your child to the world and um, you know, giving them all of the opportunities without actually pushing them into something that isn't their own yeah. idea or isn't their own choice. That's a really tough question, um, and we talked a lot on the last show about, and, and I think we do when we get into more philosophical things on this show, we talked about autonomy and um, how you can't break autonomy, and we've mentioned it with oaths, you know, you can't break an oath because you and this person or even the God have agreed to something and you can't go back on that because it, it, it breaks autonomy or free will. Um, but when you actually have a baby, for example, this is something I was thinking about. Babies don't like their diapers changed. Okay, I don't know. I had never changed a diaper in my life. Like, my baby's <laughs> diaper was the first diaper I've changed literally in my entire life. Because I'm not a baby person. I, I've held, like, two babies in my whole life before this, and it was for, like, under five minutes, and I hold her all the time. I've never bottle-fed a baby before. So there's a lot of firsts coming with this, but what I'm getting at is babies don't like their diapers changed. They will fight you, and they will struggle, and if you imagine this baby to be a full-grown adult, and, okay, first of all, yeah, that would be a little weird, but you imagine this baby to be a... changing table. Yeah. If you imagine this baby to be a full-grown adult, by her actions, there is no question in your mind she does not want to be changed. Nonetheless, you have to change her, which is kind of breaking her autonomy. She didn't give you permission to change her. She didn't say, hey, you can change me. Um, and I've heard an argument that, well, in the future, if you asked her when she was, when she was 20, or, or, is it okay that I change you when you were a baby? She'll probably say yes. I don't really, I don't really buy that argument because you know, you could you could do the same thing with beating your children. A lot of people, when they're 30, are like, oh, I'm glad my parents beat me because it made me a good person. It doesn't make it okay. It just means, you know, it's, it's, like, it, it's like the Stockholm Syndrome. It's like, I'm going to kidnap this person and keep them prisoner in my basement for, like, six years, but at seven years, I'm going to ask them if that's okay, and I'm going to brainwash them by them, and they'll, then they'll say yes. So this, like, future permission thing doesn't work for me. So how do we say, she obviously doesn't want change, but I, I have to change her, or she's going to get skin rashes and be very unhealthy. How do we justify the fact that, in a sense, we're, we're actually breaking her autonomy? Do you have thoughts on this? Because I've actually, I've got a theory. But do you have thoughts on this? That's your thoughts first. Well, it's hard because, like, that one's pretty easy. You can be pretty sure that when your daughter is an adult or your child is an adult and you ask them if they're thankful for you changing their diaper, diaper they'll probably say yes. Mm. But like you said, it can be more complicated where is if you use something, you know, terrible, like beating them, but then you justify it all in their lives, maybe they'll be convinced that it was okay, yeah. even when it really wasn't. So 
What's your theory? Well, I don't... So when this baby is born, um, there's some semblance of a soul. I don't think it's a full soul with, like, full absolute rights, because I kind of think that we we earn our souls. But, I mean, undeniably, the folk soul is there. But there's this body, and it will house a full human soul at some point in time. It's un- it, unless you kill it. Hopefully, you wouldn't do that to your baby. But if you continue raising your baby, it will eventually house a full human soul. So I think you can think about it like what you have now is a body, which you're taking care of until the soul decides to take up residency. Sort of like, you know, if I owned an apartment complex and and someone called and said, oh, I want to move into one of your apartments, I'd say, okay, that's fine. Um, When are you moving in? And they're like, next month. Well, I'd still take care of the plumbing and I'd still take care of the electricity because they're moving in. So I think it's the same thing with the body and you have to change it because otherwise that's damaging to the body. So I think you have to do basic body maintenance until the the full human soul actually takes up residency in the body. And at that point in time, of course, it has full autonomy. So you can't hit your child because that's damaging property that's not yours. You can't... You, you, you have to change the diaper because if you don't, again, it's damaging property that's, that's not yours. So you have to take care of it because it's, <laughs> otherwise it'd be damaging property that's not yours. I really like where that sounds. Well, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. What would, what would your argument be then? <clears throat> I don't really have a counter-argument. It just sounds really cold and unfeeling. Well, I'll admit it's a little cold and unfeeling. <laughs> I, I think that there are certain emotions that we've been programmed with to make us do this naturally. Yeah. And I think this baby is adorable is one of those emotions. This baby is adorable. That We think that because, and, and I don't know why we think that. Biology has a big part to do, to do with that. It. It's just part of some natural thing in us. And it's to make us, you know, not hit our kids because a crying baby is annoying. And if they weren't cute, you know, maybe you would be just violent to them. them. Or well, maybe you just, just want to take, take care, care of them. them. Maybe yeah. you leave them out in the woods to die. Right. So, um, we have... It makes sense evolutionarily yeah. that we've, yeah. we've adapted to... Right. So, so it's easy to say... Cute. It's easy to say babies are cute and that's why I change their diapers because if I don't change their diapers, they'll get sick. Uh-huh. But I don't think there's really a, a moral justification for it. No, yeah. I think the they haven't moved into their bodies yet is a moral justification for it. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, they don't have full human rights, or it would be wrong to say, well, I'm going to um, change your diaper even though you don't want me to. Mm-hmm. Or hit you when you're misbehaving. Or hit you when you're misbehaving. Yeah. Well, there, there's another one hit you when you're misbehaving. I think if we... I, I actually thought I'd get a bunch of emails on this one, but I didn't. Maybe nobody listens, or, or <laughs> I doubt everybody agrees with me. Um, 
one of the big things about um, hitting your baby that we brought up is in our lore, you're not allowed to go around. It, it, it's looked down on to go around beating up the defenseless. You just can't do that. I mean, in the sagas and 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 in the lore, <clears throat> if somebody challenges somebody else, it's a challenge. They say, "I'm going to fight you," and then the other person usually says, "Okay, let's fight," or you know, whatever. Um, it's some sort of challenge. It's not you sneak. Out. Well, and um, um, murder is immoral. But killing yeah. is not immoral, and one of the examples of murder is like, you know, a, a sleeping man would be. If you killed somebody in their sleep, that'd be murder, because they didn't have a chance to defend themselves. Yeah. And when you're talking about kidding children, they don't have a chance to defend themselves. So, for the same reason, I think that'd be wrong. Um, but I wonder, does our lore have, have um, clues on maybe some parenting techniques are there stories in our lore that we can look at and um, learn something about parenting um, I don't know I guess there's there's certain examples you have the Balder story where you can see that Frigga very oh, yeah. much loved her son I think that's one where we can say you should love your children I think that's a given. I don't think anybody out there is saying you... I don't think anyone out there is saying you shouldn't love your children. Um, but a Frigga story is one that shows that our gods really do have compassion for their children. And then I think we should follow follow their lead, follow that example. Um, there's not a whole lot of children in the lore, though. I mean, honestly, most of the gods and goddesses are already adults. Uh, I think there's a Heimdall story where he's teaching like passing all these stories down to someone younger. Uh, If Laura was here he'd know the story I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember her name at the moment but he's like passing all these stories down. Um, And I mean then you just have the very idea of Braggy being a a poet who passes information down to the other generations. Where and I think from that you can see that um passing the stories of the family and passing down pieces of the lore to the children are something that that almost has to be part of your uh parenting style with your own kids. Um and I think that's something that we should do. We have at least some amount of obligation to tell stories to our daughters and pass or our daughter and pass down information to our daughter. <clears throat> uh, what were we going to say? I was agreeing. But yeah, um, I think the best thing you can do if you're thinking about raising children and if you want to say, how do I do this in the true way, quote unquote, is to look at all the stories and see what common vein runs through them. And I think the common vein that runs through through the stories is, A, you can't break someone's autonomy, because we've discussed this a lot with the breaking of oaths, the murder, and the seducing of other men's wives, how all three of those break autonomy, and that's why they're wrong. 
So make sure that you are teaching your children not to break autonomy. And, and equally important, don't break their autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another thing that we can see in the stories are um, an emphasis on knowledge, for example. <coughs> Excuse me. Especially when you look at, at Odin. So I, I think um, teaching your kids about the world should be an important part of what you do. I think there's an emphasis on stories and ancestries we see with Bragi. I think there's an emphasis on um, maybe how you deal with the world, which perhaps we can we can see with Frey a little bit, um, or even Narthas. So, so those are important things to pass on to your children. There's um, there's an emphasis on strength and hard work, which we see with Thor. And I think we can look at the different gods and the different goddesses and see what's important to them. And and those are the things that we should pass on to our kids and, and sort of say, well, these are the important things that you should probably also learn. So, yeah, I, I think oftentimes people want to say, well, this paragraph of the Havamaw says, raise your kid like this. Yeah. And that's not something we're going to get with Austro because A, a lot of the lore is gone, and B, they don't always put it in black and white terms like that. But what you can do is look at the nature of the gods and, and look at what's going on in those stories and what's considered honorable in those stories and say, this is considered honorable. So it's something we should um, share with our children. And I think you would be doing your children a disservice if you <clears throat> if you never took them to a national park or you never taught them about the world around you or, or any any single thing that is embodied by one of the gods or the goddesses. If you don't pass that on to your children, I think you're I think you're kind of doing them a disservice. And I actually think um, going over the lore with your kids would be would be a really good idea. Just to say, you know, this is the lore. This is what we believe in. Here's why we believe it. Not say, and you necessarily must believe it as well, but there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of really good lessons in there. So, yeah. Um, I, I suppose we'll go ahead and wrap up. Did you have any final thoughts? Babies are awesome. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it was kind of a hodgepodge of stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, honestly, we've been very busy here with the baby, so, I mean, we've, we've both been really just tired for the past, like, month. Maybe a little delirious. Maybe a little delirious. But I I just wanted to get a kind of overall impression on some of the things that we were thinking about now that we've got the new the new um, member to our family, Saga Sky. Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw some things out there. I guess my final thought is just that um, babies are cool. I, I think they're, they're part of this cycle. And we always talk about the ancestors and how important the ancestors are. And, I mean, we're sort of putting ourselves in that line now. I mean, we've never been... We've never been 
ancestors until now. And I I mean... I don't know. What I, what I want to say is I don't think if you never have children, you're a bad person or a lesser person or not as important as a person. There's other ways to be remembered through kin and stuff like that. But nonetheless, there is this cycle or there is this line from you to your ancestors and having kids really completes the circuit and and it kind of does put you in the line of ancestors and it's a really cool feeling so yeah i guess i guess that's my final thought so so with that we'll go ahead and wrap up i wanted to mention um because this podcast should be coming out like the first of the month sometime soon i'm going to be doing an interview on the northern runes radio so keep an eye out for that um and just uh Go to the Northern Runes Radio homepage and, and watch for it there. I was actually going to do it last week, but um, we had the baby, so it, it was ironic. Um, the day I had the interview scheduled, uh, Lauren called me from the hospital, and she was like, well, you better get over here. The baby's going to be coming soon. So, um, and yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do the interview then. But I'm going to try to reschedule, and uh, that, that should be a good interview. So watch for that. And uh, I, I think that's about it. Remember, if you have any questions, send me an email to huganhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And check out the site at www.huganhoff.org. Raw hail. Raw hail.